from the Gospel of St. Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. They were grumbling against Jesus. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Among all the preachers this Lenten season here at Calvary, well, I'm the only Roman Catholic among the preachers. How then could I stand before you this Lent and speak about anything else but the clergy sex abuse crises, which is choking the spirit of our church and it be done in public? Now then, of course, a preacher like, like me would make note that that clergy sex abuse crisis is, is in other church communions and among leaders in other fields, the Boy Scouts, schools, and the medical field. That is true. But sisters and brothers, it is the Roman Catholic communion which is now making headlines day in and day out. It's the ground zero of pain, of cover-up, and of fumbling for solutions. I am angry, embarrassed, and ever steadying myself for the new wave of disclosure and pain and questions. Oh, in 2015, I made myself go see the movie Spotlight as soon as it came out. And deservedly, that movie received the Oscar Best Movie Award by the Academy Awards. Spotlight puts before us how the Boston Globe in 2002 uncovered the widespread and systemic child abuse in the Boston area by priest and the cover-up at the highest levels of leadership from that newspaper headline, The Crisis exploded. This past August, the, the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report listed 300 priests with accusations of sexual abuse of minors within the diocese of that report. It also made note, but did not in any way stress, that since 2002, until when the report came out, in the summer of last year, among those dioceses 
there had been only two new cases of sexual abuse of minors. That's two too many. But after 2000, at 2002, the, the Catholic bishops put up a charter that offered protection that was not before. And so there is progress. Other cases, however, are being made public elsewhere in our nation and beyond. The ways of abuse hit us as a global crisis within the church and world. As I watched Spotlight, I felt like I was being kicked in the stomach. The movie shone the light as it pinpointed the pain and suffering of the innocent, the calculated malice of the perpetrators, and the whitewash carried out by some of the highest levels of leadership. And at the end of the movie, I wondered if the Boston Globe or another channel had not ripped off the cover showing the abuse, would the Catholic Church have ever brought to light the clergy sex abuse crisis? This past Ash Wednesday, the Psalm of the Mass cried out a mantra throughout this Lent. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. For we have sinned. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. Yes, friends, Lent is not a solitary exercise, a 40-day pilgrimage bringing us to the, to the Paschal Feast, that is, the celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection during the great three days, the Triduum, beginning Holy Thursday night through Easter. No, it's something we are called to do together. And this Lent, how can we begin to experience any sense of Easter joy and new life as we are still subject daily to the dyings in the midst of so many and so much suffering? It's a valid question. I shall give only a tepid stab at one answer. Over these years, I've been privileged to listen to the stories of those who had been abused as minors by Catholic clergy. I've also been honored to listen to family members who likewise share how their loved one has been broken Again and again, pain and flashbacks and lost years. Their Lent never ends. 
as their agony continues and as they ache truly for an Easter that would bring new life of resurrection. And a month after the, the Boston Globe had its expose, a month after that, the Roman Catholic bishop at that time, Bishop Terry Stibe, gathered all the priests. And he, he, he set out what would be the next steps within our West Tennessee diocese. We priests had many questions, clueless, clueless to the, to the avalanche of hurt and betrayal and pain. But that day, a close priest friend of mine raised his hand and asked it if one of us priests were, were falsely accused, what recourse of support would they have? Now I remember that it was many years ago. And the answer was that priest would pretty much be on his own. That fear stays with many priests. We've known others elsewhere in the nation who've been accused falsely and after a long process exonerated. But the stigma, the stigma stays over them as a dark shadow. From the Gospel of St. Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling, saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now these two verses will be the first verses of the gospel this Sunday in many of our communions. And after that there follows Jesus' parable of the, of the prodigal son illustrating what Jesus was doing in his ministry and highlighting the reckless, prodigal love of God for all of us. In 2003, a year after the crises broke open, as I was, had done for several years and following on Tuesday nights, I gathered a group of six parishioners, and I just chose them after Sunday worship. They did it, each of them, for, for five weeks, and then they rotated off. It was always rotating. And we would look together at the scriptures for the next Sunday, reflecting together, and they helping me toward a homily. And so as we broke open that gospel for the particular Sunday. Oh, there were stories like that throughout the gospels of Jesus reaching out and keeping company with those on the fringe, the discarded, the rejected, those viewed way beyond the margins. So we reflected together on that, that gospel. And I asked the question, I tossed out, if Jesus were in that ministry today, as we're called to be in his name, who would be some of the groups that he would keep company with? 
in that group of six, one mentioned those with AIDS. Another, those suffering from addictions and languishing on the streets. And then somebody brought up priest guilty of clergy sex abuse. Oh, heads nodded. And then I said, without thinking, yes, I have a priest friend in another diocese who is in prison for the clergy sex abuse of minors. And then Sylvia Johnson, a parishioner. I know exactly where she was sitting at the table. She blurted out, Father Val, have you visited him? Have you gone to see him? Silence froze the room. And the eyes riveted on me. No, I haven't. Father Val, she blurted out, you've got to go see him. You've got to go see him in prison. I don't remember anything else from that reflection the rest of the night. And the answer I gave her was a feeble, I will. It's my custom every February to make a five-day trip to Nashville to visit a friend. Uh, two or three months later, that February came, and I made my trip to Nashville. And there, that now defrocked priest, Eddie McCowan, was in Riverbend Maximum Security Prison outside of Nashville. He had confessed to the sexual abuse of multiple minors and was given a prison sentence of 25 years. That next February, honoring Sylvia's mandate to me, I called and requested a visit to the prison. Now, over the years, once or twice I got refused depending on the stuff going in within the prison or the official on the other end of my request. But that first request, that first time, it went smoothly. I got the appointment. I drove up to the maximum security prison. And the only thing I had in my pocket when I went to the door, to the gate, was my car key and my driver's license. There in the entrance, I was searched carefully. And then I went through a maze of metal gates escorted by a single guard. And on either side of the gates were fences with barbed wire, one gate door after another. And then finally we walked to the other side of the prison campus to a building. He led me in a room, he led me into the building and then to a room, and I sat down there by myself. Another guard brought Eddie. In college, during summers, Eddie and I worked at a church camp. When I was ordained a priest, Eddie drove from Nashville to be there for the ordination. Now, he was in a prison uniform. 
and he and I were sitting across from each other. No one else in the room. A guard outside in the hallway. A monster. That's how folks saw Eddie and his ilk. We talked, but never about the abuse. He told me of how divinity students from Vanderbilt Divinity School came and often gave courses in Scripture or uh, other parts of theology for the, the inmates of the prison and how much he got out of it. He talked about, well, he pointed outside the window to a building not too far away, another building. He said, that's where those on death row are. And that's where executions are carried out, even to this day. That our visit, my first visit, I thought it was never going to end. We had no trouble finding something to talk about. And we prayed together. But I felt the discomfort deep within me. And I was hoping that Eddie wouldn't sense it. Gradually, and in subsequent visits with Eddie, I felt much more at ease. I went the first time, honestly, to placate that parishioner, Sylvia. We pastors know those times like that. She nudged me out of my comfort zone. She pushed me in the direction of Jesus' ministry. And I chose to make subsequent visits because I wanted to. I chose to start leaning into Jesus' gospel. Now, all tax collectors and sinners were coming near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Eddie died this past Christmas week in prison of natural causes. I had learned in some detail the monstrous things Eddie had done. But friends, Jesus teaches us that Eddie and all of us, despite our monstrous sins and evil, are never, ever beyond Jesus' prodigal love. I learned that's a hard thing really to believe and even harder to practice. It takes us way out of our comfort zone. And so I ask you, is there a Sylvia in your life who's pushing you out of your comfort zone to reach outside the margins? Or rather, is our Jesus, our Jesus this, this Lent, 
calling us to reach out of our comfort zones? Is he calling us to cross over into the fearful, embarrassing, unknown margins to people who were sometimes seen as monsters? And once we're there, can we share in our brokenness too? Jesus, prodigal love for us all. We might share that love by shouting out until we're dry throat. The church leaders show true just transparency. We might also share that love by being ready to come face to face with those who have suffered sexual abuse, perhaps not by priest, and be with them in listening, in hoping, in yearning for healing. They are so many in our midst. And we might do penance like the 16th century mixed-race lay Dominican brother, St. Marin de Porres. Throughout life, Martin poured out his life in service to those on the margins in his time who counted as nothing, Peruvian Indians, the poor, and the sick who were left to die in the streets. Martin de Porres did his Lenten penance fasting, depriving himself by hard asceticism, but he did it year-round. And when he was once asked why he did it, he mumbled something like the immensity and vastness of sins to atone for. You see, St. Martin de Porres saw the sins of his day all around. Slavery, the injustice and contempt shown to the Peruvian Indians. And aren't we doing the same? Contempt to immigrants in our midst in these days? Martin knew that he shared in that sin as part of an ever-broken church and world needing healing. Be merciful to God. Be merciful, O God, for we have sinned. Sisters and brothers, we're all in this together. And all along, Jesus keeps showing us the company with whom he chose to keep. The company he chose with whom to keep.